Good morning. We remind you that at five o'clock in this room, this late afternoon, we'll have a time of prayer. You're all welcome. The elders will meet. I think we'll meet in small groups and take requests and enjoy a season of prayer for various needs. So if you have that need or you know someone that does, be aware of that. Turn in your Bibles or in your bulletin there to our scripture reading. We're in the book of Hebrews. We are under the theme of so great salvation. And we are in chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant, to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are God's house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. The writer to the Hebrews is going to spend a little bit of time here in this passage, in this chapter, actually, the whole chapter, talking about the superiority of Christ, Jesus, the recently crucified carpenter of Nazareth, as superior with more honor and more glory than Moses. I remind you, he's writing to the Hebrews, who is more important than Moses? Maybe Abraham, maybe Jacob, Israel, <laughs> but no one else. Might put King David in there, but Moses. Moses was sent by God to save his people from Egyptian bondage. Once God saved his people, he gave them a law. He made covenant with them with a law that they were to follow and to keep. And by, that's, by the way, that's how God works. He saves you by his grace and mercy delivers you with a mighty hand out of your sins and from yourself and from your destiny. He saves you. And then He calls you to obedience. He calls you to holiness. He calls you to faithfulness. He calls you to Himself. He calls you to rest. He calls you to work. 
He tells you to watch and to pray. And all the things that are pressed upon us as Christians to do are things that the Lord calls us to do after He has called us by His name. And that's what He means there in the very first verse. He says, therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling. He's writing to fellow Jews, fellow Hebrews. And he's going to, in this particular chapter, talk about Christ as compared to Moses. The analogy is perfect. They pretty much know about Moses. And he's going to show the greater glory, the greater honor, the greater mission, the greater purpose, the greater salvation, so great salvation that is in Jesus Christ. But before we go, let me just take a moment and deal with something I think is important at this point. And that's this matter of calling. The scriptures make it abundantly clear that God calls us. He calls us to himself. We have a irresistible call that when it comes, we are made willing by his grace. Our ears are open to hear that call. And our hearts are turned to respond to that call in repentance and faith. The scriptures make it abundantly clear that it's a wonderful, and it is, as mentioned here, a heavenly calling. It's a heavenly calling in that it's sheer divine. God does it. It's a heavenly calling in that the destiny is heaven itself. But let me assure you that the scriptures speak of a calling in the other direction as well. And Paul speaks of it in Romans chapter 10, and he quotes the Old Testament, Moses' law. And then he draws from that this particular teaching that we need to let settle in close upon our hearts and minds. Here it is. He says, but what does it say? This passage he's quoted out of the Old Testament. The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Salvation, so great salvation. The word saved is mentioned three times in this short passage. That God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Greek and Jew. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on his name. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God's calling you. You are to call upon him for your salvation. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. The calling is a two-way calling. It's effectual. It works. It's efficacious. It's salvific. It will save. Have you called upon the name of the Lord for salvation? Have you confessed with your mouth 
the Lord Jesus and believed in your heart that God has raised him from the dead? If you have an all sincerity, repenting of your sins, coming with faith and trust and confidence in him, believing his word, believing his promises, hear the comfort of the gospel. You're saved. You're saved. You're secure. This particular passage that we're looking at here in Hebrews is one of the passages that speaks a little bit, obliquely at least, about our perseverance. And the very last verse is the application verse. It's one of the conditional statements of Scripture. It says, and we are His house and I guess you know, as we read the passage, when it speaks of a house, it's speaking of a household. The word house, the base in the Hebrew and the oikos in the Greek, the word house can mean the building, the structure, and often does. But it really moves beyond that to those who dwell in the building. It's not just the dwelling, it's those who dwell. It's the household, it's the family. And it says, if we are his family or his house, we are, if indeed, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. There's a condition there. We are never confident and secure outside of our faith, our believing, our holding. God puts an if in there. Now it's an expectation that we will continue in confidence and in hope. And in just a moment as we close, we'll, we'll talk about what that means for us. But let's not be too overconfident. If you're living in a lifestyle of sin of any kind, I don't have one ounce of, of word for you this morning that would give you confidence that you're going to heaven if you're living in your sins. The Bible gives us a whole list of sins and then it gives us that list at the end of the scriptures in the book of Revelation. It says, nobody doing this shall inherit eternal life in the heaven. No fornicator, no adulterer, no liar, no proud person, no thief is going to make it into heaven. If you're living in unrepentant, prideful, willful, deliberate, known sin, I don't have a word of comfort for you today at all. But I'll say this, if you confess your sin, He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin. And that's what the passage in Romans just told us, that He is righteous. He is just and the justifier. So there is a word of comfort, but it's in the gospel. It's in believing, it's in faith, it's in seizing upon and holding upon God in His Word and His promises. If you're in Christ by faith and you've come to Him repenting and believing, trusting, calling, I have a whole document full of hope for you and full of comfort filled with joy and confidence and hope and expectation that you are in his house.
You're one of his own. Now, this passage is going to compare Jesus with Christ. Let me just take a moment and just sort of set it up. It's not complicated. This is one of the clearest passages of Scripture anywhere that you'll ever find. He says, now consider Jesus. And he's going to contrast Jesus with the angels. He's talked about Christ's deity. He's talked about Christ's humanity. And now he's going to compare Christ to Moses. But it's not just Moses the person. It's Moses the office holder. Moses was a special called person in God's economy. In fact, that's the word we think of when we think of Moses. It was an economy. It was a dispensation. It was an administration of the old covenant. God brought Moses and and sovereignly directed his life. And you're familiar with his life, born in Egypt and so forth. All of the things that happened to him, living in the desert and then going back to Egypt after 80 years of departure, going back then to be God's uh, messenger and God's deliverer of his people. You know Moses, and then God took him out, put him in the desert, put him on the mountain, gave him the law, and for 40 years he led God's people. That's Moses. There's no greater one in Moses in the thinking of the Jewish economy, the Hebrew people's covenant blessing. In Moses, they had all sorts of things, but what you would forget about sometime is that Moses promised that there would be another one. We won't go into all the details, but there was a particular episode that happened in the, in the life of ancient Israel. And as a response, God spoke to the people like this. Moses is speaking now for the Lord. He said, the Lord, your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. The last chapter, chapter 2, all it talked about was how Christ is a human like we are. He is part of the brotherhood. He is humanity. He is our brother, our kinsman, fully sympathetic and knowledgeable and experienced in all that we go through. And so Moses is telling the people here through in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 18, he said, the Lord will raise up a prophet like me. So there's comparison, there's analogy from among you, from your brothers, it is to him you will listen. Remember on the mount with the Lord, the the father said of the son, this is my beloved son, hear him. And you are to listen to this one, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Oreb on the day of the assembly when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see again the great fire any more lest I die. Remember that happened to the people. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up from them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command. This is a prophecy of Christ. Moses knew that there was one beyond him. There was one that would be looked forward to. He says, and whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name, I myself require it of him. That's the Lord himself telling Moses, as Moses now delivers to us, that the the reckoning prophet is Christ. If you don't listen to him, 
If you don't come to Him, if you don't stay with Him, if you don't stand with Him and obey Him and follow Him, you'll be reckoned with. I myself will require it of Him. You can't walk away from Christ. You can't turn your back on Him. You can't modify it. You can't slack your relationship with the Lord. That's what he's telling the people. He says, now consider, consider Jesus. And then he talks about they are uh, a matter of office, apostle and high priest of our confession. <clears throat> the word apostle means one who is set apart to be sent. That's literally what the word means. It's a compound word. Set apart to be sent. You remember Paul and Barnabas at the Antiochian church were set apart and then sent on the first missionary journey. And that's Moses. Moses was pulled and set apart. And then he, when God had prepared him, he sent him to Egypt. Same is true with Jesus. Jesus is an apostle. He has been sent. In John uh, chapter, he keeps emphasizing that he has been sent from the Lord. In fact, I'll just... just uh, Read it for you. If I can find it, there it is. <laughs> it's just one page over. The Father sends the Son, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorify you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. This is speaking the glory that is bestowed upon Christ because he being an apostle sent had actually accomplished the mission. It is as an envoy. He has a portfolio. He has a set of instructions. He has a mission to carry out. And Jesus came and did that for us. That was what was said at his birth, as I say almost every sermon. You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save my people from their sins. That was his mission. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He had a mission. And he accomplished it in his life, perfectly obedient life, and in his sacrificial atoning death. So, you can't you can't slight Jesus. You can't walk away from him. You can't neglect so great salvation. You just can't. This is it. This is what God's done. This is the, the provision. And it says he's, he is the high priest. And we'll flesh that out a whole lot more because that's really the point of the epistle. is the high priestly ministry of Jesus Christ. And in this instance, we'll be looking at the high priest in the Old Testament, Aaron, and his family, and how Christ is superior and more effective and better in every way, more successful in every way in his person, in his ministry, his life, superior in every way to Aaron, Moses' brother. But that, that'll be coming down the line. But that's the, the high priest. And he talks about he was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. How do we know Moses was faithful? Who, whose opinion was that? Who gave that particular uh, designation to Moses? Here's the Lord speaking 
to Aaron and Miriam, Moses' brother and sister. Hear my words, if there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known to him in a vision. I will speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses, says Jesus, says the Lord. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. That's the Lord's commendation of the ministry of Moses. Isn't that incredible? God gives visions and words to the prophets and messages. And a lot of prophets write a lot of things that come from the Lord. But the Lord dealt with Moses one-on-one, face-to-face. Seeing him as he was. As he revealed himself. Now you know the whole story is that Moses couldn't take the full vision of the Lord. All he got to do was to see the backside of the Lord walking away. If he had seen any more than that, he would have died. And the Lord gave him warning, but I'll let you see this much. And the Lord put him in the cleft of the rock. And you know the story. But, but Moses had this firsthand witness. He was a witness. He was, and that's exactly what our text says down here. He says in verse three, now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to witness, that's literally the word witness, to the things that were to be spoken later. What things were to be spoken later? Things that would be spoken later was that which was proclaimed concerning Christ. You see, you get the flow. These Hebrew people have got to realize that important as Moses was in giving of the law, the very words of God, a, a faithful prophet, a faithful servant, he still doesn't compare to Christ. He only prophesied of Christ and spoke of Christ and typified Christ in all of he did and, and proclaimed Christ and preached Christ. Over and over again, every time Moses turned around, there was something about Christ in his presence. The tabernacle was a symbol of Christ. The mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant, the altar, the animals that were slain. They were all symbols of Christ. Moses' staff, a symbol of Christ. The serpent that Moses hung, the brass serpent that he hung up after the people had been infected with the venomous poison of the wilderness viper. That was a symbol of Christ. Every time Moses turned around, he was witnessing, testifying to the coming of Christ. These Hebrew people, without knowing it, had heard so much gospel just reading Moses. And that's what Jesus says. Jesus said, if you knew Moses, you would know me, for he testifies of me. That's what Moses did. Moses was a gospel preacher. Moses was like Paul. I'm determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's the gospel of all ages. That's why we get a little weary sometimes of these people to try to put too much discontinuity between the covenants. And they don't see Christ in his fullness in the Old Testament as he is manifested and comes and reveals himself openly and publicly and finally to the generation of the fulfillment. The last generation, the generation where they received him and they, they saw him. Moses was faithful servant, but he was a servant. Jesus in the household, in the family, is a son. <clears throat> it's all the difference in the world. Between a hired hand no matter how faithful, no matter how good, no matter how worthy. And the worth and the honor and the dignity 
and the glory of the Son, the firstborn Son, the heir of all things. And that's Christ as compared to Moses. The law came by Moses, and the law is good and perfect and holy and righteous. God hasn't changed His holy standards one iota since the day He revealed them to Moses. But grace came by Jesus Christ. And that's what the author here is really trying us to get, get to see. We talk about the perseverance of the saints. And it says here that we are to have hold fast our confidence. And that's really what it amounts to. Continuance is the test of the reality of our faith. The perseverance of the saints says... Those who persevere are the saints. The word saint means holy, sanctus. That's what he was said in the very first verse there. Holy brothers, saints. It proves out to be that we are saints because of our continuing holding fast in confidence. Those who persevere are the holy ones. There's no place along the way to stop. There's no occasion to rebel. They rebelled against Moses at times. There's no time and circumstance that should cause us to give up. You can't back out. You can't quit. You can't stand down or turn around. You can't fall and not get up again. The Christian life is a life of Keeping on, going on. Keep holding on, believing, trusting. And yes, there is hope. God, who spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not freely give us all things? There's our promise. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. He that hath begun a good work in you will perform it to the day of redemption. He has promised he will surely do it. Hope makes not ashamed. That means it will not disappoint. It will not let us down. He that endures to the end shall be saved. And this walk of faith, even in times of difficulty, is going to be illustrated by the following passage. We don't have time to go into it this morning, but we pick up in verse 7. We're going to have a quotation from what happened in the Old Testament with respect to God's people there. And it's a tremendous example and, admira and uh, admonition for us in our continuing in faith. Just. Trust Him. Keep trusting Him. Never stop trusting Him. If you waver, if you fall, if clouds of doubt come in, don't run from Him. Run to Him. If you sin, repent. If you fail, 
run to Him asking for strength and wisdom and guidance and help. Don't ever move one step away from the foot of Jesus. Don't. You're in His family. You're in His house. If you stay there, hold fast, knowing with every confidence that He is holding you.